As far as the first paramedics, when they were trying to innovate and start IVs and, and treat people just like the, the paramedics were all around the country, you know, in the beginning, they were a few years ahead. They weren't at the level we are now, but as far as 1967, I mean, they were cutting edge. Los Angeles, this is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service, discussing firefighting strategy, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on Code 3. This is the show that gives you all the firefighting and medical information you need in about 20-minute chunks. Let's get started. Today, we're talking EMS history. I'm embarrassed to admit I was unaware of this story until I heard about it on another non-fire-related podcast. It's the story of the first civilian EMS program in the U.S., Nope, not New York, that was 1968. Not Miami, that was 69. Not even L.A., home of the emergency TV show. The law that allowed Johnny and Roy to practice was passed in 1970. No, the first U.S. paramedics were from the Freedom House Ambulance Program in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. In 1967. They faced opposition. The number one reason? Because nearly all the medics were black men. Never heard of these guys? You should know about them. The first 25 medics in the program are credited with saving 200 lives in their first year. They transported 5,800 patients that year. It's a fascinating story, and here to talk about it today is Ben Thompson. Ben is a captain in the Birmingham, Alabama Fire and Rescue Service. In 2016, he was awarded Emergency Medical Service Provider of the Year, and he won the 2018 Joe E. Acker Award for Innovation in EMS. Both of those awards came from Jefferson County, Alabama. Naturally, Ben's also a licensed paramedic. And Ben Thompson joins me now. Welcome back to Code 3. Hey, thanks for having me, Scott. Glad to be here. So Freedom House Ambulance Service was a groundbreaking program. Why haven't we heard about it until recently? It's been, what, 50-plus years? Yeah, it's, it's been a long time, and I don't really know why the story hasn't been as widespread as it has until uh, just lately. But uh, I heard about it through a uh, podcast that was sent to me through my wife's stepmother. She just thought it was an interesting story and wondered if I'd heard about it, which obviously I hadn't. Kevin Hazard, the writer of A Thousand Naked Strangers, did a really good piece about it. And uh, it was you know, featured on uh, 99% Invisible, the podcast. And that's where I first heard the story. And when I heard it, I was amazed that it wasn't uh, more widespread or even taught in EMS education. So no, that's the same place I heard about it first. I was embarrassed that I had never heard of these guys. Yeah, and and then I, you probably just like me. Of course, I googled it and then saw all kinds of articles uh, about it that were written and had heard they were even trying to fund a documentary about the group. 
I mean, I was, I was with you. I was in the same boat. Surprised I'd never heard of it till just now. Now, I was also surprised to learn that Dr. Nancy Caroline, who wrote the book on EMS, which was Emergency Care in the Streets, was the medical director for Freedom House. What did these guys train to do? From what I understand, they were trained, as far as the first paramedics, I mean, they were trained to innovate and start IVs and, and you know, treat people just like the, the paramedics were all around the country, you know, in the beginning. But it, from what I understand, it sounds like they were a few years ahead. They weren't at the level we are now, but as far as 1967, I mean, they were cutting edge. They were doing just what Johnny Gage and Roy DeSoto were doing on television a few years later. The men who worked as paramedics for Freedom House were mostly black, and they've been called unemployable. How did they get the opportunity to do this job in the first place? There was a group that was already there. Freedom House was originated from a group that was doing community work just in the neighborhood, and uh, they saw a need for EMS in the Hill District, uh, which at that time was only being provided by police, which I guess you could say really wasn't being provided at all. It was kind of just a a scoop and go uh, kind of situation. So you had some very innovative EMS leaders who saw an opportunity to provide a service. So they had a, a medical service and they, they saw a, a group of folks who needed good employment from that community. So they saw the opportunity and saw the, uh, the available supply of capable people who could do the job and just took advantage of the opportunity and created this great system. Yeah, and they were able to get access to black neighborhoods where where many of the people didn't trust white paramedics at the time. Yeah, which is, you know, which is interesting because, you know, nowadays with everything that's going on, I mean, you have certain communities that still don't trust, you know, white paramedics, white police, white firefighters, who would probably appreciate to see people from their own community being the folks providing service. You know, I guess it's kind of a it happened so long ago, but it's it's kind of coming along at the right time, I guess, for now. We can maybe learn from that and hopefully duplicate it. They face some problems because of their race. Yeah. Hospitals treated some of them like orderlies. Some white patients wouldn't allow them to treat them. How did they react to that sort of thing? Well, from, from what I've seen on interviews, it sounds like they acted very professional. You know, unfortunately, I never had the opportunity to speak to anyone directly from Freedom House. Just, you know, I guess kind of the same thing you have, just watched interviews or read articles. And, uh, you know, they, they acted professionally. They were trained and they had a job to do and, and they did it. I'm sure it, was, it wasn't easy for them, but they did it. So what happened to the program? Why didn't it stick around? It was very successful but, uh, and so successful that the city decided they wanted to create their own service. And they chose not to fund Freedom House, but to fund a separate EMS service, which would be city-run. And unfortunately, uh, fell to the, I guess, discriminatory practices of the time. And it was predominantly white uh, EMS service. And Freedom House just kind of ended up failing due to lack of funding. To uh, and it was, I guess, disintegrated to get to create a different service. So, in your opinion, why do you think we hear more about Johnny and Roy and the L.A. County Fire Department than we do about Freedom House when Freedom House got there first? Well, I mean, I guess the easy thing is Johnny and Roy were on TV. <laughs> so, I guess they're... Well, that's true. They were, you know, more widespread. It's just EMS is so uh, segmented. So, like, every, every part of the country's EMS programs have kind of grown organically. They're all different. You know, we have National Registry of EMTs, but even that, 
in the whole scope of history is kind of small. You know, there's still places that do things differently. We're all kind of, we've all, we've all grown out of a community need. We all have our own histories. We all have our own, our own kind of worlds. I guess with the, the sharing of information through the internet and YouTube and podcasts like this one, uh, we're all starting to learn the other stories that are out there and, you know, who did what and who did it where and who did it when. And I guess just as a country, we're all looking back at our, at our own histories and, you know, good and bad. And Freedom House is one of those things in EMS and our short history. I mean, it's really, what is it, 50, 60 years old, had the potential to be probably one of our greatest things and ended up being kind of a, a blot in our history because we didn't provide it with the support that it needed. Well, I think part of the problem here, too, is that, let's face it, back in the 70s, a TV executive was not going to approve a show about black guys treating people in the field. That just would not at the time have been seen as something that people would watch, even though they probably would have and they would have learned just as much. Yeah, you're right. So NHTSA is revising the National EMS Education Standard. And this time around, they're including Freedom House. Why is it important to teach new EMTs and medics about these guys and what they did? Well, so honestly, Scott, they're, they're not inserting Freedom House. Um, they're not. They're not. I actually, I emailed the, the group to ask them if they were, and uh, there was a big discussion between them whether to do it or not. They chose not to, mainly because the standard is uh, they focused... They do have historical, I guess, landmarks, but they primarily focused on just governmental, like when the white paper was released or when laws were passed. But just because they did not enter Freedom House in the standard, they do encourage EMS curriculum writers, program directors to use the leeway provided. So, so the standard is just, it's just the standard. It's, it's like a skeleton of what EMS curriculum should be written upon. And from that, everybody has a choice to add whatever they feel is important. I, I had a nice email conversation with, uh, I'm, I'm going to say his last name wrong, Paul Rothersberger. He was a, a part of the group that did the EMS education standards, and he's a big fan of Freedom House. He heard exactly what I was saying, and he said there are sections in the standards about his, you know the historical landmarks of EMS, and he was basically saying that everyone has the freedom to add Freedom House to that part. And he encourages everyone to do so because he feels it's an important story as well, which, you know, I understand in their, in their position, the EMS education standards are already a extremely long document. So it's kind of like if they add everything, it could be end up being a thousand pages and probably no one will ever look at it. These EMS education standards are being updated for the first time in 11 years. So we should take that as an opportunity to update everything we do and uh, the first thing we could do as EMS educators and EMS professionals is add Freedom House to our, to our curriculums on our own. We don't need prompting from anybody else to do that because it's, we're, we're all recognizing um, as a profession, you can see it, it's evident in the, the articles that are coming out about Freedom House that we see that this is a landmark program that we should all know about. So here's the opportunity. Let's put it in all the programs. So everybody from here on out, knows who Freedom House is and they don't have to learn about it from a podcast or an article on some website that they read five years into their career. 
I've got to wonder if there aren't people writing these curricula who don't know about Freedom House themselves. I mean, somebody probably does in an organization, but is the person who's writing the curriculum familiar with it, or is it news to them too? That's that. I guess that's the big question, and that's... Let me interrupt you. What's your experience been? Have you said this to anybody and had them say, what the heck is that? Oh, yeah. So, you know, I work work in a city that's, you know, predominantly African-American... And we, we teach our own EMT school. I, I went to our training staff and asked, hey, have you ever heard of this? And they they never heard of it. And I said, well, hey, you know, we got students that are predominantly African-American. Don't you think that they would like to, to hear about this in the curriculum? I feel like it's something we should add on our own. This was a year, year ago, maybe, maybe greater. But I have yet to meet anybody in person that knew about Freedom House. So yeah, I mean you're you're absolutely right. A lot of people don't know about it. So well, hopefully, you know, more people will see it and take that as a cue. You know, my hope was that it would be in the standard, but you know, I think the standard we, we I guess we missed our chance to to get it in there this time. Maybe it'll be in there next time. For now, that doesn't mean that we can't as a as a profession choose to do it. And to be honest, Scott, I feel like if we if we chose to do it before it was put in the standard, I think it would probably be more meaningful as a profession, if we chose to do it, you know, I think that would, that would speak a lot to uh, the way we want our profession to go in the future. Well, that's a good point. All right. This is fascinating stuff and there's a lot more, but we'll leave it there. Ben Thompson, thanks for talking with me today. Thanks for having me, Scott. I really appreciate it. And I put lots of resource links about Freedom House on our website at Code3Podcast.com dot com slash freedom check it out and let me know if you've heard of these pioneering paramedics in the comments and if the crew at your station hasn't heard about the freedom house ambulance service yet maybe play this podcast for them it might get them interested in learning more all right that's it that's all for this edition of code three thank you for listening i'll be back next time with more and i hope you'll be here I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.